0: Welcome to Rebel's Deconstructed Podcast. Listen to people in tech sharing their journey through criticism, failure, and staying true to their vision to make an impact. Pour yourself a drink and get inspired. Hi, and welcome to Rebel's Deconstructed Podcast. I'm happy to be back hosting this episode. Our guest for today is Bogdan, technology lead at Rebel. who recently co-founded PharmaFind, a startup offering patients easier access to medical care. Working in product development for more than ten years, he gathered experience in building software, offering strategic advice to stakeholders, and leading cross-functional product teams. Hi, Bogdan, and welcome to the studio. How are you today?
1: Hey Andrea, uh, thanks for having me. I'm pretty excited, a bit anxious, but yeah.
0: Good. Um, don't well, don't be anxious. It's going to be a very chill <laughs> conversation. Um, says me, who's actually anxious. <laughs> Um, So I've spent quite a lot of time thinking about the questions we should start off with and I picked your life story because even though we've been working in the same company for a little while now, we actually only had one conversation in which we exchanged a little bit about your life. So I'd like to start with your early days as a software developer. How were those days for you?
1: Sure. So when I started, it was pretty wild. It was still... Kind of in the beginning, middle of the uh, Cluj IT days. Mm, I remember I, I got the first job as an IT support. Uh, I think I was 19 years old. I was just tired of college. I didn't like it. And yeah, basically I just started this job. Everyone just let me do whatever, pick whatever technologies. It wasn't this practice that you currently see in Cluj. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of mentors, a lot of team leads that are uh, helping you and that are actually trying to support you. So it was pretty wild
0: by Mm -hmm. then. Now, I know something very particular about you. Uh, Not very particular to the industry per se, but particular to your specific journey. And I know that you're a self-taught software developer. And I'd like to spend a little bit of time on this specific thing and maybe try to expand on how you started learning software development and how the journey went for you from offering um, IT support to starting and grabbing the first technology to work with on a software project.
1: Mm. Yes, for me, but at least it all started in high school. I used to go to, to different, uh, different contests and even though I wasn't actually learning anything about IT, I did it in my own time. So whenever I had some time, I came back uh, from school, I used to build websites, build small things and then then it all started. Uh, It was an interesting time because you didn't have, or there weren't as easily accessible all the resources where you should learn. YouTube wasn't as big or at least as well known as uh, as it is today. So I started building small websites, going to contests, coming back, building some more of that. And uh, I I still remember that it was wild thinking that someone actually could pay me for doing this because (laughs) I I liked it so much. It was interesting actually thinking about uh, being paid for doing what I like. Uh, It wasn't a wild concept. I think uh, back then I was talking with one of my my friends and he said that he knows someone that's Working in IT and getting paid well, no, 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 no chance. And when I first heard about the IT support uh, job, I was amazed that it actually exists. It's not a fairy tale. It could happen. I went to the interview and yeah.
0: And what were your responsibilities in the very first days of your job? Uh,
1: First of all, I was uh, in charge of providing first level of support. So whenever a customer came, I would answer and help him solve his problem. This was a, a mostly technical support job. So we had to investigate the API and do all the technical stuff. But besides that, whenever I had, I had time, I built tools to automate whatever uh, was happening. So there were customers that came and said, okay, I need to do this for 10,000 accounts. And it to take you about four hours. And I thought, why spend four hours every week doing this when I could write a script and do that? And yeah, that was, that was mostly it, and I continued building tools for the team, helping with IT support.
0: And that was the point when you decided you're going to want to transition to a full-time software development or was it later on?
1: Mm, I already knew that I wanted a full-time software development. Uh, this was just an entry opportunity in the, in, the, in the market.
0: And how did the market look back then? Was it as hyped as it is today? Are we talking about 10 years ago?
1: Uh, yeah, almost 10 years ago, I think. It was pretty hype. It was still in the beginning. The front end wasn't the front end. Uh, when I started, it was the first time my Angular actually became popular. Mm-hmm. So it was still the beginning. And no one knew about front end development. Is that a thing? Everyone thought you did CSS and HTML, and that's, that's okay. <laughs> and from then on, it just developed into this, this crazy thing that front end is today.
0: And what was one thing that has helped you the most in growing your career?
1: Mm, I, uh, there was a point, I don't remember exactly when, when I realized that I actually love to run, learn because from high school, I was taught that learning is difficult. Learning should be as the teacher taught you. And actually seeing that I love to learn and that I, I, I discovered my own uh, method of learning things helped me a lot because basically it unlocked the full potential and it allowed me to uh, take something, take a concept and actually develop on it, learn it fast. And from then on, I I just started learning better and better and got better at, at actually learning.
0: Now you made me curious about the method that you apply for learning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: This is something that I apply in my day to day job. Uh, each individual has their own way of learning. Mm-hmm. So in high school and in school in general, they teach you that the, the teacher should present you the concept and you should learn it. You should go, go home, read it until you, you memorize it. But that didn't work for me at any point. As uh, for most of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me personally, uh, regardless of how much I learn, I forget it really fast. So I... I can read something five times and the next day I forget it. For me, it helps to actually go hands-on and trying out something. If I learn about, I don't know, welding carpentry, I can read it. I can watch. I can do anything. But until I actually try it out and see, with, uh, in, with actually experience it, uh, it's hard to learn. Uh, the same for programming. I can read about the, any language. I can read the entire documentation, but until I actually... Try it out and see and experience it, uh, it, it so won't it's work. It's
0: mostly learning by doing. Yeah. It's actually the same principle I have applied in my job because I'm a self taught marketer, just as you are a self taught um, software developer. I've actually been trained in law school. So <laughs> <laughs> law has really nothing to do with marketing, except there's a lot of textbooks and a lot of talking that's around certain topics and it's I I remember at the very very beginning of my so-called career in high school actually I was trying to dig into these courses and I remember that even as in the present HubSpot was a very big thing for us as marketers and we were all trying to grab HubSpot and Do the courses and get through everything and obtain the certifications. And I would go through tens and hundreds of courses and classes and never retain anything, any kind of information. And it was just when I started to actually do things on my own and just test my own hypothesis, it clicked. And I started developing the skills that helped me grow in my career. And I actually think this is a very good learning for everyone that wants to start. Career in a new field, even if you're looking to change your career path. Most of the things I feel like we have this feeling that before we go to interviews or before we start working on a job, we have to know everything beforehand. And it's the same thing with leadership, with marketing, with software development, whatever you do. We have this slow anxiety that we need to be prepared for everything. And let's be serious and face it. The industry we work with in is ever-changing and there is no point in which you can say you know everything and you're ready for um, whatever faces you.
1: Mm, th- there's a concept that the more you learn, the more you, you
0: know that you don't know exactly. everything. Yeah, and that's scary.
1: Yeah, it is a bit, but it's also kind of comforting because mm, you cannot... Uh, You can relax thinking, uh, knowing that there are so many things to do that you can't get bored. And if something dies, then something else, there's something else for you to do.
0: Have you had any people that have inspired you or mentors that have guided you throughout your journey as your, as a software developer and lead later on?
1: That's a good question. I I kept thinking about who my mentor is. I don't think I have someone in particular. I learned uh, new things from everyone I meet. So everyone has their particularities, their story and their way to be and mm-hmm. the way they make you feel. And whenever I meet someone that I like, makes me feel good in a certain way or another, I try to see how, how I can do the same thing, but apply to me, to my, my personality, to my character and so on. So yeah, there were people that were more influential. Uh, I had a manager that was just so relaxed and we had great talks and we go, went to coffee and... It kind of shattered the image of the perfect manager that should be serious and should... I love that. <laughs> yeah. And I like that and I try to, to see how I can emulate that, but not exactly, not copy it, but try to apply it to my, my personality, how I do things and so on.
0: Okay. Let's stay here for a second. <laughs> sure. Um, what are some of the principles that you've noticed in the leaders you have had throughout the time that really inspired you?
1: I think there's, most of them were chill in in regards to their interactions. So it it wasn't like every interaction should be something serious, should be something meaningful. They both treated me and allowed me to treat them like humans. They showed that they have flaws. They openly discussed stuff that happens in their life. So it wasn't necessarily just business all day long and how's that task and how's that other story. Besides that, I think trust is one of the most important things that I've been shown by, by most of the, the leaders that I respected. Trust me to do my job properly. I learned, I developed, I, I know how to do, do my things mm-hmm. maybe better than someone that hasn't done them day to day. So I think it's useless to, for you to come and tell me how to do something properly. So yeah, uh, that's where trust comes in. Transparency. So when I ask any question, you can be transparent about it. If it's an issue, tell me it's an issue. No Pack-
0: bullshit policy. <laughs> yeah,
1: exact, exactly. Package it nicely so it w- wouldn't panic anyone. But don't, don't, ju- don't just say it isn't an issue when the building is on fire. Uh, that won't work.
0: I have a hard time working with these kind of people as well. So even when I have to choose my team and the people I... Interact with on a daily basis, I always emphasize the importance of speaking your mind and it's It's perfectly fine to disagree on topics that's where growth happens, and that's the purpose of a team to not agree on everything because yeah. as soon as you find yourself surrounded by people who all all agree with you, then there might be a slight problem there because out of ten people, there is no chance that all of them have the same opinion on a thing with no different nuances and substances to that.
1: And even if they agree, but at least some of them should have some questions regarding that, like question why this is the right thing to do it.
0: Yes, I agree with you. And back to mentorship, um, I, think something, I, I think something you have mentioned, it was about seasonal mentorship, and I think this debugs a myth. In regards to mentors and how you should choose your mentors, I know at the very beginning of my career, um, I was so keen to finding my mentor, and I was frustrated because there was this big preaching on how mentors are super important for your career, and you should find yourself a mentor. And I was finding myself in positions in which I just couldn't pinpoint to one person who could guide me in my professional life my personal life, uh, my university journey and life through academia and everything. And I got so frustrated until a point I read something really insightful for me, my 19-year-old me, and it was about how maybe you shouldn't struggle to find a mentor that gives you everything. You should try to find mentors for specific areas of your life, and even more for specific seasons of your life. So maybe you have a mentor or you identify a person as being your mentor for six months in this specific field, and then you might move to finding another person that can guide you through the next stages of your career. And this was really insightful for me because it helped me get through my frustration.
1: (laughs) It's quite an interesting concept, yeah. Uh, Right now I'm having uh, some sort of a revelation that, yeah, it kind of applies to Well, <laughs> I've well. experienced
0: this in my life. I can't name a person that has been my mentor from the very beginning of my career. I've had several mentors and several people that have inspired me in certain ways. But there is no one that's been with me from the very beginning. So, yeah, it helped a lot.
1: I think you have your own story to develop so it... I don't think it really applies one to one to copy someone else's story. I think a lot of variables are in your life, a lot of people that you meet. So yeah, it it makes sense. Yeah,
0: totally agree. And my favorite question. (laughs) Where do you find purpose in your life today?
1: Mm, Good question. Uh, So my life right now, it's kind of revolving around my son. He's three years, years old. And... Since he was born, uh, a lot of my life has changed, not necessarily in terms of uh, what I do and my activities, but in how I think, uh, how I think about stuff. For me, it's uh, quite important to set an example and not, not only to set an example as, yeah, you should behave like this, you should do this, you should be proper man and so on. But what should he expect? Of life, because we all took this from our parents. We we've seen how they live their lives, and we kind of tried to copy it. Not really conscious; it's not a conscious thing, but we tried. We thought about that being how life should be, and I think that's where the I can get paid for what I like things come because we've seen them not happy about what they were doing. And if they, they were happy, they weren't getting money for that.
0: I went out with one of my friends last night and she told me something that sticked with me. Um, she told me that when we're small and we don't know how to react to certain things, the first thing that we do is look at our mother's facial expressions. So for instance, when there is a huge storm outside. We don't know how to react to that, but we look to the faces of our parents, especially our mother, and we try to emulate that. And we inherit that as being our native response to that specific external event.
1: That totally applies. Uh, It's the same for when he falls, if you just react like, what happened to you? Uh, He's going to start crying 100% of of the times. But if you're like, you're okay, good. Did you hit something Does anything hurt? He's mostly just fine. He gets up and starts running again. So yeah, yeah, that, that, that applies. I think the kids learn a lot from their parents. And coming back to where I started, I want to set, set an example on how to live life. So what's important in life? So I discovered that, yep, like I think most people, I want to be happy. And I started discovering what happiness is and what I want to do in life. And that's, that's mostly where I'm going right now. I'm trying to discover anything that makes me happy, trying to do stuff that I enjoy and so on. And set an example in doing this.
0: Has fatherhood impacted your work life and the way you see your job?
1: 100%, yeah. Tell me more. Uh, What are
0: the biggest changes that happened?
1: You have a lot less time to do actual (laughs) stuff. And a lot of meetings are with him running around you and, Daddy, Daddy, can I watch cartoons? Oh, come on. (laughs) And I actually find myself to be a lot more productive. Uh, Before this, if I had 10 minutes, I would just stay in bed and do nothing. And that would kind of escalate to two hours, three hours and so on. And the day was gone. But right now, when he's at home, if I have 10 minutes, those are the most important 10 minutes of my day. I focus on finishing work. Cooking, washing dishes, anything that I can't actually do Mm -hmm. outside of those 10 minutes. And that kind of got me really productive in, in terms of both my job and my daily life.
0: A totally off the script question. But do you think today's work culture supports parents enough?
1: Mm, it, depend, it depends a lot. I don't think the 9 to 6 job actually does that. And I'm happy to see a lot of companies uh, going off those rails and allowing flexible hours. And by flexible, I don't mean that you can start at 8 and finish at 5. Actually flexible hours, because sometimes you have to take 4 hours in the middle of the day to, to do something uh, for, for your family. And I'm happy to see the industry, at least in actually developing in that way allow this. I don't think it's perfect yet, but it's going in a good way.
0: And what could improve the way we support parents? Mm. We as IT industry, technology companies and so on.
1: It's a good question. So this would be definitely the first, the first thing, uh, because sometimes uh, life and job that don't align properly. I'm not sure if there's a lot more than, there are also wild uh, wild ideas. Mm -hmm. You you, you can build kindergartens and so on, but those are not really realistic.
0: Okay. Um, A question about the teams that you work with and the way you create a product team. And I'm really keen to know what are some of the things you look for in the people you work with and a few values that you appreciate in your colleagues.
1: First of all, and the most important, is trust. I want them to trust me, and I want myself to trust them. I have a tendency to go one to one and talk personally with each of the team members and know each other, so we can build trust. I think trust is the most important one because when I come with an idea, I want them to challenge it. I want I want them to know that they can challenge it. It's safe to challenge it. It's something that. Uh, gets a product to be actually better than me coming with an idea and everyone being afraid to speak out. So that that's really important. And transparency. There's no issue if something isn't on time. There's an issue if you try to hide it. And we have issues that are just piling up under under the rug. So be transparent about what you do. If you can't do something, say it and someone will help you. And besides that, just... Just having a chill environment.
0: Being kind to humans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And how do you nurture the growth of newly started junior developer or intern? What are some of the cornerstones that should apply for the well-rounded development of the person?
1: I'm not sure how this will sound, but uh, it's kind of the same uh, like uh, raising a child. You shouldn't overprotect them, but you should be there if they need you. So you shouldn't have a junior developer protected in terms of what tasks can he do, give give him the easy stuff. No, let him choose. Let him have his option. Let him do what he wants to do. Mm -hmm. But in case he needs your help, be there and help.
0: And what in your opinion defines a healthy work culture?
1: It's an interesting question. I think a healthy work culture is mostly... I think you said it. Uh, be nice human beings, mm-hmm. and I think that should apply to, to all the levels. Uh, I found that Treble Dot. Uh, I I went past the building Treble Dot a lot of times, but I never second had a second thought about joining until Chip recommended me. And I was surprised by what I found here. I still remember the first day I came into the office and Dodi was like, "Hey, Bogdan, what's up?" And I had no idea who this guy was. Like, why is he here talking to us? Why does he know my name? <laughs> no, I was even more surprised to find out uh, he's the CEO and that he's so chill and he's so naturally human being. He's not trying to act tough. He's not trying to be in his office all day. And it's it's kind of nice to to know that because again, you build trust. It's kind of transparent having the opportunity to talk to him. You can raise questions without going through a lot of uh, layers of management and so on. It's kind of interesting what I found here. I think uh, Rebelot is kind of doing this right. At least that's what I noticed uh, so far.
0: A note for the listeners, we did not plan on touching this topic. (laughs)
1: No. Uh, It's interesting when I have have, uh, chats with the DMs or the people in culture or some, because it always sounds like bullshit when I tell them that I'm actually happy and I like what's (laughs) happening here. They're like anything that we can help with. No, no, you're doing a great job. It's fine. It's good.
0: What's the specific of the project you're working on? Uh,
1: so the project is uh, is aiming uh, the tournaments for games like Under Strike, League of Legends, and so on, and building tournaments and offering uh, crypto and NFTs as prizes for those tournaments.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think this is a startup. You're working for. And have you worked with enterprise companies before? I worked with it. And what are some of the defining changes you can observe when it comes to working with startups versus enterprise companies, helping them develop digital products?
1: First of all, uh, in my experience, learn a lot more from building a startup because you just go into the unknown. Mm -hmm. You don't know what to expect. You make mistakes. You learn from them. Whereas in an enterprise, even if you start something new, usually they have rules for how you do things. They have people that are in charge of the architecture and so on. It's a lot more organized, but you don't learn as much. And it's kind of a chill. You don't have to make decisions. It's not that much pressure when working with enterprise because someone kind of knows everything about everything. They know what technologies. You don't have the the stress of actually thinking about this and... Being afraid to make a mistake mm-hmm. in that regard
0: well i I assume this is your own experience i've yeah. seen um for instance start um enterprise companies that are applying agile methods and that are fueled by i think they're called entrepreneurs entrepreneurs inside the company that are assigned with the job of building a digital product that is supposed to I'm not a fan of this word, but revolutionize and disrupt (laughs) uh, the industry. And and I've observed this tendency for enterprise companies to reach out to development agencies that apply and work in a truly agile manner to help them improve their own processes. Because as you know, and as your experiences, most of them work with or used to work in a waterfall-ish approach. Which I think is pretty redundant and limits the learning, um, rather than going agile and improving the process along the way. And since we're discussing about startups, tell me more about PharmaFind and how, how you started building this.
1: So uh, one of my colleagues came, with, uh, came up with the idea and he kind of pitched it to us. And they had the exact same problem going from pharmacy to pharmacy to find uh, different meds or... This
0: was during COVID, right? This was
1: actually before COVID, I think one or two years before that. But the issue is still present as a new parent. You have a lot of medicine that you have to look for. And a a lot of that happens at two at night. And it's not pleasant to go from pharmacy to pharmacy to look for, I don't know, what medicine you urgently need. And he came with, yeah, what about actually sending a message to all the pharmacies and one of them answers you and you go straight there. And I like the idea a lot because it kind of solved my problem as well. And I got invested in it pretty, pretty quickly.
0: That's nice. And where are you in the stages of the development, product development um, today?
1: We have an MVP launched and yeah, kind of that. So we have the, the MVP launched. Right now, there are quite a lot of users. We didn't expect this many users to, to join. That's,
0: that's really cool. And another question that just popped in my head right now is, do you, because of course you've been working on your own startup while, um, my voice is getting a bit hard, <laughs> but that's fine. Um, you've been working on your own startup while working in a full-time job. And first, I would like to know if the experience you have acquired throughout your years working as a software development contributed to your knowledge and the knowledge you have applied to um, building PharmaFind. And second, if you recommend and do you consider this as being a good practice, having a side hustle beside your, besides your actual job?
1: I wouldn't necessarily recommend because it was it was just painful at times. Damn,
0: I was expecting for you to say yes. <laughs>
1: uh, I recommend it if people actually want to do this. Mm-hmm. So if you're, you shouldn't force yourself to try to do this because that just leads to a burnout. Uh, I was already doing projects for myself. If I have any ideas, I just built it. So for me, it was just leaving all the other side projects and focusing on this. Uh, What I can say is that it's an awesome experience. It's something totally new, actually going into something like this and not having someone to help you, any safety net, anything. I was with uh, with Giprian, so both of us uh, worked on this. None of us knew everything about the the ecosystem. I didn't knew AWS, I didn't knew React Native. So we just went into this, were forced, kind of forced to learn this and it was actually a pleasure working, working on it. Uh, right now looking back i am it, it was exciting it was exciting to do this. It was something something different that you kind of experience in your day to day job
0: I love the idea of PharmaFind, and I specifically love it because most of the people that want to start working on a startup are on this hunt for the next great big idea and one thing that I've noticed working with a lot of startups is that mo- the startup ideas that are the most successful s- successful are the ones that solve very small but important problems that are very often hidden in plain sight and you most often don't really have to be hunting this huge idea that is looking to disrupt um the industry But just a problem that normal people go through day by day. And if a problem that you would solve would help them improve their daily being. And these are the actual products that people endorse and integrate into their day-to-day usage. I mean, I would use PharmaFind. Maybe I'm going to start using it from today if it's
1: usable. (laughs) Uh, Candid. Looking back, I don't think any of the the big ideas that we have right now the um, the mega project, the mega IT, IT companies actually started as, yeah, this is the next big thing, necessarily. They started as something small and just grew. There is a concept at Google, fail fast. The idea is to not invest a lot into something, just throw it out there and see how it goes. And I think the same applies. Have a lot of small ideas, a lot of them will fail. Maybe some will do good and maybe, maybe one will do just amazing. Mm-hmm. But it's just a, a chance. You can have the best idea ever and to think, uh, think that it's the next big project. And at the same time, people won't like it. Even if it solves their problem, they may not like it. It may not be the right time to, to launch it. So, yes. Yeah.
0: There's an image I think I've seen on Unsplash or some stock image platform once. And it stuck with me for some reason. It was a text written in neon neon signs and it said data has a better idea. And whenever I feel like I'm working on too many assumptions, I know I just need to throw one of my assumptions on the market and see what happens and the reaction of the audience to that because otherwise I would end up investing tons of money and tons of um, marketing budget into purely diverse assumptions that has have no data foundation, and this is a very very good learning for business in general, especially startups and especially early age early stage startups. Um, don't just don't invest a lot of money in your idea before you test the core of it on the market.
1: I think that's why why there's this process of of actually having an MVP. Because Mm -hmm. it's the most viable product. You don't know if it can be the best thing ever, then people won't like it. I think this is a common pitfall that we all all fall in. We get uh, emotionally invested in our ideas and we have a tendency to think that everyone thinks the same like we, we do, but it's more often than not not the case.
0: No, we, we really get this positive bias towards our ideas and it's hard to let go. Um, I've once had a client that told me we were in this product strategy workshop and he had this great idea, as they all do, and a pretty big budget for implementing it. And he wanted to allocate the entire budget for building an MVP. And it was me and Tom trying to convince the stakeholder that we don't really actually recommend investing this ton amount of money, but rather try to essentialize the MVP and launch launch it with the very core feature of that product and see how the market reacts to it because it was a fairly new concept on the market. And his response to Our suggestion was, guys, you're asking me to name the things I don't like about my baby and let them go. There are none. And often this happens. And this is actually why it is quite important to have a bigger team working on your project.
1: I think this this is where outsourcing helps and actually trusting the guys that work for you from outsourcing. Having a team that can make those decisions for you. They get to know you, they get to know your idea, they know how important it is to you. But at the same time, they're, they're not as emotionally invested in this and can actually help your business grow. And by have an making.
0: objective perspective. Exactly. I was not planning on selling product teams during this, <laughs> <laughs> this episode, but really, I mean, even if you think about the fact that when you have a product team, like the product teams at Rebel Dot, most of the people that work on the product have worked through and for several projects beforehand and they know what works and what doesn't work in terms of user experience, the expectancies that people have towards a digital product. Because even if we talk about different industries, because we work with a very large amount of industries, some of the principles still apply and most of them are UX principles. And UX and In general, the experience of the user within the app is crucial, so...
1: It is. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay. Thank you very much for your time, Bogdan. Uh, It was really nice to get to chat with you and I look forward to seeing you around the office.
1: Same. Thank you for having me again.